Welcome. To Arcade Audio. What up, you nerds, and welcome to Shared History. History, what's in your wallet? Ooh, Cass, I think that's a repeat. Is it? Because I thought it was a repeat, but it's on the... Oh, man, Some, hey, we love oh, I, thought that was a, I thought that was part of the whole bit. That, no. they, that we repeat them? I was like, oh, man, what's she going to say about it being <laughs> no. a repeat? Oh, shit. No, Cass you know tries what? real hard not to have a repeat. And I we have a little we've got a spreadsheet going have, with like it's color coordinated. I think I fudged up, Nat. Well, uh, this is we're recording now, so this is That being for, said, for what since is I'm in Iowa, you could say like, is this heaven? No, it's history. <gasps> yes, Damn saved. It. Saved, Cass. Yeah, you are saved by our very special guest, reformed history major, founder and owner of Raygun, the greatest store in the universe, and the greatest sponsor of this podcast. I can't say that or <laughs> yeah. the other sponsors will get upset with me. <laughs> but um, a sponsor that we love very much. It's Mike Draper. He's here. Thank you. There. Thank you. Oh, I thought you I thought you were gonna do it like all the other Zoom shows where there's fake applause. Well, oh, we'll that's that. my job. I forgot. All right, we'll add that in later. Yeah, we'll do, we'll add fix it in post. Facebook. We'll fix it in post. Um, <laughs> yes. So I'm your host, Nat Younger. Your other host, Cass Maher, from the great state of Iowa. Oh my God, we know where you're from. Well, I just think it's important because our sponsor and guest and friend is the owner of Raygun, the greatest shop in the universe, which was founded in yeah Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, Iowa. Right. Yeah, so I'm standing at East Fifth and Grand. Well, I mean, I'm in the, I'm standing in the store. <laughs> He's right outside. Yeah, I'm not like on the sidewalk. <laughs> um, this is my remote office, yeah, and I am just, like, like six, <laughs> I'm six blocks from the hospital I was born in. So geographically, I have not come very far in life. And <laughs> between the hospital and the store, there is a funeral home, so I could go start to finish in one hey, tiny stretch well, of the East you. I've got it all planned out. You heard it's it here first. Mike Draper is a very efficient <laughs> yep. businessman. And his funeral will be at Hamilton's funeral home. Then. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe a new sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> we'll ask him afterwards. It's like, hey, we just had a guy on. And he was like, when he dies, he's going to use your funeral home. So, Although I'm only 38, so it might, might be. I'll we'll have to wait a little bit. Knock hopefully. on several, several surfaces of all materials just to hedge our bets. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, we invited you on partially because we harassed you on the internet. Well, not you, but your wonderful staff <laughs> who then put us in touch with you so we could harass you on the internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, into sponsoring this fair podcast because we've, we love Raygun. We talk about Raygun a lot. I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and say that there's yeah. a store in Chicago too. So if you're oh, not yeah, in that's Iowa. Yep. And Cedar Rapids and Kansas yep. City. And, yep. and Iowa City, and now in Omaha. So Ooh. it's nice having one in Chicago because then it makes people in Des Moines shop at the Des Moines store now that they know that it's not just a Des Moines thing. They're like, eh. and you're like, it's in Chicago now. They're like, it is? Okay, well, now I can go there. You've got like a little Midwestern empire going here. 
<laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> yep. And yeah, I guess I've driven a lot on Interstate 80, 88, and 35. That's it. Congrats. The only ones. <laughs> yeah, it's just back and forth, all these like two hour round trips. Well, which surprisingly never get, get more interesting. <laughs> well, so Cass texted me this afternoon from the great state of Nebraska, the, which she has driven through four times in the last like three weeks. Yeah. I've been to Colorado and out west a lot, and I'm going to go back to Colorado in October. So tack on two more Nebraska visits for me. I think when like you kind of get psyched up for thinking that Colorado is right next to Nebraska. And so as soon as you're in Colorado, you're kind of like, oh, I'm there. And then you forget that there's kind of like a lot of boring Colorado before you get to like the Colorado. Nebraska. Oh man, that's the worst part of the trip because you're kind of like, I'm in Colorado. And then it's another, what, Where like is two it? more hours till you get to <laughs> Denver or. And Nebraska's a long state. Oof, it's yeah. long. Yep. Yeah. East or West. Those are the options. <laughs> <laughs> so she knows, she knows a lot about the, the beautiful that old interstate 80 scenic highways of this region. Uh, I have not left Illinois. And so um, that's not true. <laughs> I drove over into Indiana and immediately was like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? But then we also know that Mike, you used to, you were a history major. Like that's what you that's what you chose to spend your college money on. <laughs> yeah, th- this was like, or yeah, my parents' college money. This mm-hmm. was kind of like my ticket out. So when I was growing up, I born in Des Moines, grew up like right outside Des Moines in a little town called Van Meter. And my main goal from like age zero or out of seven, anyway, my main goal for most of those years was to leave Iowa. Which it turns out is like way easier than you think it's going to be. There are several clearly marked exits. <laughs> it's kind of like if your dream is to live in New York, it's like, well, you can do that. It's, it's in America. You just drive right over there. And so I wanted to leave. My dad gave me like a list of colleges. I'm like, I just want to move to a big city. And he's like, well, here's a list of colleges. And so I applied. I got into the University of Pennsylvania. Never visited. Um, never went to Philadelphia. <laughs> Didn't do much research. And then my dad was like, oh, the, you got to pick what college you want to go to. And I kind of like flipped through. And Penn had, its colors were like red and blue, like real strong, like like a navy red and a dark, or like navy blue and kind of a dark red. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'll go there. And so my first day at Penn was... Uh, like ever was the day I moved in and studied history because that was like the only subject I was good at. I felt really bad for people who were good at lots of subjects. Like they're like, oh, I'm good at like the piano, but then I'm also into science. I, I have like this tiny band of talent and then I just stay within that band. And so if I'm, you know, studying in college anyway, like studying history or if I'm like running the store and people observe me in that habitat, they, they're like, oh, this guy must be really intelligent. But then if you moved me into like anything with consequences, like science or math or engineering (laughs) like who is this absolute idiot (laughs) like what did we get this guy for and so i studied history did you study a specific like sec like did you favor a specific section of history or was it like a A little i mean i i really bounced around which is how i didn't even end up with enough history credits to graduate with a history degree like i hadn't ticked all the boxes because i'm like i'm gonna do a little latin american now i'm gonna do middle east and i didn't really pay attention that you're supposed to apparently to to technically get a history degree specialized in one thing (laughs) and i met with my advisor like right before graduation and uh, he's like, oh, you, you know, you didn't tick like these, like, I think I was missing maybe one or two boxes. And he's like, you didn't tick these things. So 
I was like, what does that mean? He's like, well, I mean, technically, you, you don't graduate with a history degree if you haven't done these two. And this was spring of my senior year. And now by this point, I had already like applied for a master's fellowship and been rejected for that master's fellowship, which had made me start selling t-shirts on campus. And I had already been like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to sell t-shirts. So by the time I was meeting with this advisor, I was kind of like, hey, dude, I don't even fucking need this degree. <laughs> it's like, I've got this job lined up where I just sell t-shirts on the street by myself. I don't even need a high school degree. But so in the office, he was like, well, you didn't take these two classes. I was like, uh, that's okay. He's like, well, it means you technically wouldn't get a degree. I was like, uh, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> he was like, really? Oh, that's kind of cool. Here, I'll just, you know what? I'll mark him fine. You can graduate. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Um, the, so yeah, the nice, the the nice guy discount. nonchalance. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just kind of like, are what? So you wait, you've been here all four years. I've just told you you don't have enough credits to graduate. And you're like, meh. You're not crying <laughs> in my office? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? You're not a Penn student. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, normally you kids are so anxious, you're breaking down at a B in anthropology, like first term. My dad's going to yell at me. Aren't you 19? <laughs> this, uh, this resonates a little, a little too <laughs> For me personally. I mean, this is my, and I don't want to like denigrate, Penn was like a great experience, uh, some of it. And I was like <laughs> in a valid. house, like <laughs> really good friends with like those, I was kind of like really good friends with this like small segment of Penn, but I remember sitting in, it was like freshman year and a guy was like, we were turning in our essays and he's like, how'd, the, how'd you think this essay went? And I was like, yeah, I think it was fine. And he was like, my mom says this is some of my best work. And, that made, and so, you know, this, I've only been there for a few weeks. And so um, I go... <laughs> Your mom reads your essays? Uh, coming from like a small town public school in Iowa, I was kind of like, how's this guy not getting his ass kicked? <laughs> I wanted to be like dork. Um, but I said, your mom reads your essays? And he's like, my mom is a professor at Princeton. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not saying my dad or mom aren't qualified to read my essays. <laughs> I'm just like, why would they want? It's like, hey, dad. I'd be like, you like, finish your essays? In essay. a, yeah, you finish your essays at enough time for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for your parents to read them? Yes. My mom needs it at two so she can look it over and then runs it by my dad at dinner. And then they send me a few things to work on at seven, which I hammer out, <laughs> in order to get to sleep by 10 so that I make it to the recitation by nine. Woof. It's going to be a big nope for me. Yeah. Pass. <laughs> so pass. anyway, I spent four years studying history. And so what I used to do, I mean, by your senior year, you have like maybe four recitations a week that meet for like three hours and each of them require one or two books. And so there was a time in my life where I was reading, you know, like six to nine books a week. I mean, you're just sitting and reading all day. And now like the book that I'm going to talk about today, I don't know when I started reading it, which is an indication of how long I've been reading it for. And then to prepare for this show, I was like, well, I should probably like read through it again. And so I started reading through it. And there were passages which I was just like, wait, I read this whole book. I don't remember any <laughs> of this, which isn't like necessarily a testament to like there was a time when I would have like retained all this. But now you have like the company. I've got like four kids. Um, my wife just got a dog and we all live together. And so it's like kind of my dog, too. But it's like pretty much <laughs> just my wife's dog. It's um, always one person household's dog. We all I, I, It was kind of like when she asked, like it was 
when we were having our fourth kid, it was kind of, I could tell people were around and I get a dog, like around child number three, it was kind of like, <laughs> is it dog time? And so I wanted to head that off at the pass. And so I was like, why don't we just have another kid? Like we've already got all the stuff for a kid, like the gates and the clothing and a yeah, doctor. If we, got, if we got a dog, we'd have to go shopping. <clears throat> yeah. You'd have to, it's like, <clears throat> you're at a whole different store across from the other store just to get food. It's like, now we got to get two, two stops for food. <laughs> no thanks. And then it's like, well, we already have a cat. You're like, we do. And, um, <laughs> Like, oh shit, where is it? <laughs> the cat needs food. And so we had four kids and I was like, all right, we can have four kids, but we're not going to get a dog. And my wife was like, okay. And then by this fall, when Des Moines Public Schools announced that it was going to be like all virtual and it's been virtual since March, she's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be at home all day <laughs> with a kid and you're just going to be at work all the time, uh, I'm going to go get a dog. And I was like, okay. I like <laughs> it's that like, it's like, if I'm going to be at home argument. all day with four humans depending on me for life and sustenance, I'm going to add another living creature to that <laughs> workload. Well, yeah. Once you have all the little kids and it's like, go chase the dog. Um, oh, okay. We have, it's a yeah, built-in babysitter. Oh, the kids were like running around with the dog and the dog like laid down. And then, and this is not an old dog either. This is, it's like four months old. And you're like, holy crap, our kids are more exhausting than a puppy. Even the puppy <laughs> is like, give me, a, give me a break. And so oh. anyway, you add like all of that stuff in and my like retention for information, I think is not what it used to be. Although with like the book, it did kind of like blow my mind. And so when you ask like, oh, what do you want to talk about? I'm kind of like, oh, it's like everything. I can give you like, you want me to give you like the title and stuff of it? Yeah, give us the title of the book. Okay. So the, it is called The Silk Roads, A New History of the World by Peter Frankenpan. And, and I think it came out in like 2016. So it is pretty, it's new-ish. Majority it's purple. Oh, it's look at this thing. Yeah, there's a lot of words. That's in like there. Dune. That's like the size of Dune. <laughs> I know this because I just read Dune. Um. <laughs> yeah, so it's the Wall Street Journal says a rare book that makes you question your assumptions about the world. Great. Can we steal that tagline for our podcast? <laughs> I'm writing yeah. it down now. <laughs> just we're taking it. Well, it's funny when you when you mentioned to us that you read this book about the Silk Roads because Cass has been kind of nagging me from day one because on our social medias before the first season came out, we kind of talked, we did like a little meet and greet on the socials. Uh, and we both talked about <clears throat> kind of our favorite areas of history. And one of one thing that I mentioned, and I did to my credit, I believe say, I don't know a ton about it, but I've always been fascinated by the Silk Road because it runs through so much history. So much history happened on and adjacent to and because of the Silk Road. And it was a huge time span too. Like like once I actually sat down and like looked at the dates, I was like, this wasn't just like a you know a few decades or even hundred years. Like it lasted forever. Mm -hmm. And Cass is always like, why don't you do a Silk Roads episode? And I'm like, because I, one does not, one does not simply tell one story about <laughs> the Silk Road. But yeah, I think that's, I mean, what makes it so tricky is that you're talking about this entity that essentially connected, you know, Europe and China and, you know, leverage point is around modern day Iran. And it spans pretty much all of modern history. I mean, most of it, 
it is this like enormous topic and it's not one that I had any sort of like expertise in like by I never took a class on it in college and so I don't know why I didn't just like take my like senior year master's thesis and read that to you guys it is such an enormous topic and the idea behind the book is to actually kind of like reframe you know the basics of how you like learn history in like the western world which is kind of topical to nowadays but essentially mm-hmm. you know the idea is you have like a few big events you know greek democracy to alexander the great and alexander the great takes over all this like land and then dies and so pff, that's gone and then the next big thing is the roman empire and the roman empire grows until about 400 ad and in that process jesus is born constantine makes christianity the official religion and then all of these bandits like sack rome in 400 and that's like the end of the roman empire then it's the dark ages then the renaissance then this period of conquest yada 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 1776 brings you up to modern times and this book kind of reframes it to where instead of focusing on the mediterranean the starting place is essentially you know mesopotamia iran which if you're going to do world history from any point i mean that is like the nexus and so you kind of need maps like the book has a lot of maps but you have to like flip back and forth to look at the maps because it's you know place names are changing and the actual place is pretty critical in that you know you know where iran is <laughs> i mean hopefully maybe um I'm sure everybody who listens to this knows where Iran is. Oh, yes, I'm very educated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, of course, well, let me sketch it up. And then above Iran, you know, you have Iran, Turkey, Afghanistan, and then above them is like, you know, the Black Sea is above Turkey, the Caspian Sea is ab- like above Iran, and that area above is like the steppes. And so the main conflict was always, you had like, quote, civilization, which was running from, you know, Constantinople over through Afghanistan into India, then up into China. And then the steppes was this place where, you know, the Mongols came from, the Huns, the like Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, anybody that like sacked Rome. And so there's this always this tension between, you know, the steppes and the nomadic people and then the civilization below. And you realize that it's, you know, between all sides from like China to Europe and then through there's this flow, but then there's also this flow down from like the steppes down into Europe, down into China. And it's really hard to like segment history in these like clean delineated lines. So one example, the easiest one is the fall of Rome, you know, 400. So the idea is the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths and all of these guys from the steppes come in obliterate the Roman Empire and it's gone and Europe is plunged into the Dark Ages. When in actuality, Constantine in the 300s had actually already moved the capital of Rome into Constantinople. And so Rome did fall to the Visigoths. But a couple of decades later, it was under the control again of the Roman Empire. Like the people in Constantinople, although we call it like the Byzantine Empire nowadays, they called themselves Romans. Mm -hmm. I mean, Romania is in Eastern Europe for that reason, that in their minds, the Roman Empire continued all the way, you know, into the 1200s. And the Roman Empire that made it into the 1200s was not destroyed by... um, you know, what you would call barbarians. It was destroyed by the Europeans. Yeah. Like one of the the crusade in 1200 was supposed to go to the Holy Land. Instead, they sacked Rome, raped, pillaged, I mean, obliterated the city. And that was the fall of the Roman Empire, which then gave rise to, you know, like Ottoman Turks. 
and it's an interesting way. It's the easiest example of looking how you know the chronology of history is not only mistaken, but who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, <laughs> is also you know not in in your eyes. You know, Rome civilization is overrun by these barbarians in 400, when in actuality it was you know Western European Christians who were going to go save the Holy Land from Muslims, and we're kind of like, oh, oh, this is taking way too long to get to Israel. Why don't we just sack Constantinople, which is the head of the Roman Empire? even though it's also filled with Christians. <laughs> like, let's kill all them. And it kind of gets into what, you know, Europe's strength was. Because when you look at it, when history hinges around, you know, Iran, Europe is rightly kind of at the fringe. You know, nothing was beyond Europe and except like the Atlantic. And so Iran has this fantastic real estate where you have like China to the east and Europe to the west and then the steps to the north. And so everything's got to crisscross through here and they're like making money off of everybody. Europe is like stuck at the fringes to the point where when the Mongols invaded Europe, they stopped around France because they were kind of like, yeah, that's it. Oh, no. I mean, it wasn't that the Europeans defeated that there was no major. It was just kind of like, eh, pff, what else do we want? I yeah. mean, you go to the UK nowadays and it is this like cloudy rock. The UK was not like this prized possession that everybody wanted. Like after the Romans left the UK, nobody conquered it. It's like <laughs> nobody even made an effort to like, you know, you have like the Normans go over and the Vikings would come by, but the Vikings were only really coming by to take, you know, slaves and then they would be able to sell them to Iran. The Vikings' main focus was down south, the Volga, into the Black Sea so they could trade with the Iranians. Like mm -hmm. everybody wanted to trade, you know, in that area. And the mystery is, well, how does this backwater, you know, of Europe in the 1200s suddenly, you know, rise to start dominating all of these empires that were so much more powerful? And that's, you know, one of the other things the book gets into is the separation from civilization and enlightenment in Europe to civilization and enlightenment in China, India, or the Middle East was not this giant chasm that we kind of think of. Like, you know, the enlightenment wasn't really like catapulting Europe to the front. It was kind of bringing it up to speed with other areas. And so if there isn't this giant you know, cleavage between civilizations, you know, what actually makes up for the difference when you get like down to the ground. And this guy's thesis on that, which I can kind of agree with, is just like abject violence. <laughs> that yeah, the Europeans out. were the most violent. I mean, everybody was violent in there. Like there is some pretty metal shit that goes on in history. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not like the Mongols were, you know, asking people's permission. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they would go in to make an example of one town. They would lock everybody in a church and light it on fire and then show all the other towns like, just check that shit out. You going to pay us some taxes or what? And they're like, eh, I guess, yeah, if it's burning yeah. alive in a church, we're paying you a tax. Sure, we'll, we'll pay your taxes. <laughs> um, so it's not to say that the Europeans were any different, but they were just like really well practiced at it because the Europeans, it was just constant warfare because there was no major empire in Europe after, you know, after Rome vacated and kind of moved to the east, you have all these city-states in Europe <clears throat> that were just constantly warring with each other. You know, Venice to Genoa to all of these mm -hmm. tiny little... You figure, you know, Germany wasn't unified until you know, the 1700s, Italy around the same time. And so hundreds of years, you have all these little areas 
areas just battling back and forth. And they're not only like sharpening their warfare skills, but since they're so small, there's a focus on technology. And so a lot of the you know, learning of the enlightenment and science was driven by these Italian city-states that wanted to get some sort of a technological advantage. So, you know, developments in gunpowder and projectiles mostly came out of like Europe just for the reason that they needed all this stuff for warfare. And then there is the, you know, just kind of like luck that they sailed west from Spain and hit the Americas. I mean, once you got to like the Americas and there is essentially these endless resources in mm -hmm. terms of gold and silver, you now take, you know, really violent people who have been developing technology and give them just a shitload of money. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, it blows the whole thing like wide open in that the entire structure of the world that was built around like the Silk Roads has now been disrupted because at the fringe of the Silk Roads, you have like these really angry, you know, Christian zealots who now have guns and a ton of money <laughs> and are going to like bring Jesus to everyone. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I mean, I don't know if those were, were those like my prepared remarks? <laughs> it's like, that's, I mean, essentially, in a nutshell, that's what I would want to say about the book, although it's just packed and with tons of other stuff. Oh, can I say one thing that's topical too? Oh, um, yeah. Go for it. modern times. I mean, I am the guest. So it'd be rude of you to not let me say it. <laughs> well, now, well, when you I'm going like to, I'm going to put a button in that there, Mike. <laughs> Natalie, I want to tell you. <laughs> brought to you by Pringles. Um, <laughs> hold on. But so um, in like around the time of like the fall of Rome, there is what's called like the plague of Justinian. So in the 400s, it was actually the first occurrence of bubonic plague. Whereas you kind of think now that bubonic plague was the Black Death, which is that 1100s, 1200s. But the plague of Justinian, they have now found was bubonic plague. And it was enormous. I mean, they estimate anywhere from 25 million to 100 million people were wiped out. This So easily twice as big as like the Black Death. And this is like around the 400s. So I guess it's around like the 500s. So you kind of have rise of Islam starts around 600. So one of the things that kind of cleared the way for like Islam to grow as Christianity kind of shrank a little bit was infighting among Christians, but also this like enormous plague that went through the Mediterranean. Hey, Nat, uh, can I talk about Iowa for a minute? Honestly, I'm shocked you're even asking for permission this time. It's just that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and they're headquartered in Iowa. Yeah, but they're bigger than Iowa. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, really? Who called them that? Raygun did. Checks out. All I'm saying is don't limit Raygun's excellence to just Iowa. I mean, they've got brick and mortar stores in six cities and like an online empire. They're super important to the fabric of the entire universe. Their t-shirts are like the second most important element and they gain on oxygen like every day. That's true. Also, they are super modest. They are. It's truly awe-inspiring. Gosh, Raygun's just so great. Right? And this is an ad paid for by them. So go check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code SHERIALATER to save on your next order. Uh, now, can I talk about Iowa? Oh, look, we're out of time. So fun fact about plagues. There's actually more of them. We're oh. discovering new deadly plagues. It's like fun well, fact. 
when people think Black Plague, they're like, oh, the, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, and they're not thinking about the actual virus itself. Like, that didn't just stop and start in one time. Like, that's- <laughs> yeah, like rats, yeah, rats, like, yeah. didn't have fleas ever again. Yeah. No, they just never, they just, like, didn't, just, they didn't move around as much. They all settled down. <laughs> Built like, little little rat homes. Four kids and like the dad rat was like, all right, we can have four baby rats. But we're not <laughs> and then these rats started homeschooling, and the mom rat was like, we're gonna get a dog now. And they're like, oh, now we got a dog. And then you got fleas again. Well, you, but like, but for a while you were safe because all the rats were sheltering in place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like hey. rats. And then the plague rats are like, like college is fucking starting. <clears throat> Come this on. one's familiar. Everyone grab, <laughs> everyone grab your rat bong. We gotta go. It's like there's a party at the Sigep house. <laughs> All the old people that think it's a conspiracy are invited. It's like, oh. this, this is the strangest frat party ever. It's a fraternity, <laughs> but instead of mixing with a sorority, you're mixing with like the Rotary Club. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's and a everyone frat. everyone there is like, fuck masks. It's a frat party. Hey, oh, you wow. did it, Nat. You got oh, it. Did it. Ding, ding, ding. Rad. This has been shared history. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> and <got> lights. <laughs> Mike, you did um, what oh. very eloquently in a very short amount of time, what Natalie and I love to do or love to try to do is contextualizing and reframing history. That was fabulous. <laughs> like basically your thesis from the thesis from the book is that Europeans, yes, they had a lot of jumps in technology and stuff, but that was just to catch up to like everyone else because there were just these small roaming bands of like because we've, we've people fighting in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, didn't invent math, didn't invent science, didn't even invent gunpowder. In the beginning, the Ottoman Turks, like the Ottomans were the ones that had better cannons and came in and like, you know, blasted the Europeans. And so there there was really no point where they were leading. I mean, also not advanced in terms of like open sharing of ideas. It's, you know, fairly common knowledge now. But when, you know, the Muslims had overrun, you know, the Iberian Peninsula, so where Spain and Portugal are now, it was, they were fairly famous for how like open they were to, you know, Christians, Jews. Mm-hmm. The Mongols, you know, the idea of expanding the empire was essentially for money. And so you don't want to go in and like wipe out a city because there's no money in just wiping out a city. The idea was you would take over a city and you wanted a city that was like trading with a lot of other people because generating that much revenue through trade means you could just tax it. So the Mm -hmm. bigger you got, the more money you could get if you left the cities intact. And so, you know, through Islam and the Mongols, and obviously they change over time, but when they're first starting out in like their conquests, the idea was a little more, you know, live and let live. You just want people there. And if they're not causing trouble and they're paying their taxes, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And even Constantine, although he changed the religion in the like Roman empire to Christianity, still dabbled in like Roman gods and didn't care that much. Like it, it wasn't that everyone had to like believe it. You fast forward to, you know, like Europe, and they were convinced that a lot of what happened to them, whether it was, you know, invasions by the Huns, the Black Death, these fairly kind of close-minded people were like, it's because God is mad at us. (laughs) And so it leads to, you know, pogroms against the Jews. It leads to the Inquisition in Spain. And you think to yourself, well, how did Spain, this like backward-ass country, come to dominate history? And it was really because of their zealotry. Like Christopher Columbus was like, I'm going to lead a new crusade. Who's with me? And they're like, oh, we just don't have the money for it. He's like, man. And they're like, but I bet if we went to India 
and we kick their ass and we take all their stuff. It's like we could get enough money to go and liberate the Holy Land. And they're like, that's what we're going to do. And so they send, you know, Vasco da Gama south to try to find a way around Africa. And they send Christopher Columbus west to try to like hit India. He bumps into the Americas and it's like showered with gold. But the the exploration was never driven by let's go see what's out there or an inquisitiveness <laughs> or to, like prove the flat earther is wrong. It was to round up enough money to go and liberate like the holy. I mean, it's just, it changes your thinking about it and that it's not, it, it wasn't done for any like greater good. There was the age of exploration wasn't driven by a desire to explore. I mean, these were people who had like hardened beliefs and a really close-minded way of looking at the world. And they wanted to explore, to take stuff, to sell that stuff for money, to buy weapons, <laughs> to go and kill people who are not believers. It yeah. just So yeah, it does kind of like reframe how you think about the world and what the difference is between, you know, civilization versus, you know, barbarians and, you know, who is obviously the civilized one, who are the barbarians and how so much is circumstantial, you know, why the Europeans developed weapons technology and other countries didn't focus as much on it is still, you know, a hotly debated topic, hotly well, debated topic. You can't walk down the street two blocks without hearing people being like, but I mean, there was warfare and competition in the Indian subcontinent also in the 12th. <laughs> like, Bro, Overheard at the local Starbucks. <laughs> Great point, Carl. How about the Big Ten football game? It's like, enough about that. <laughs> about military technology civilization. I want to talk about, I want to talk about when Spain kickstarted their next crusade. <laughs> <laughs> what about it? The perks well, for that Kickstarter sucked. And then once, I mean, once Spain had all that, it's funny that they never followed through with the crusade because it's like once they had a shitload of gold, they were like, oh, fuck, this is way better than liberating Jerusalem. It's like, what were we thinking? <laughs> Turns uh, well, out that we were just motivated by money and power the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it's like, all right, we're going to leave Jerusalem. I mean, we're going to get to Jerusalem. It's like, but we're going to put in an in-ground pool. <laughs> going to move this well, mountain. Gonna build it's another like power. we... Uh, we did on the podcast, we did uh, this, we talked, this is one of our Silk Roads adjacent episodes because we, we passed through, we took a, a slight sojourn on uh, on the Silk Road, but we talked about uh, Ibn Battuta and for him, it was, it was just, he kept going, he kept being like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this thing. And then, you know what? I'm just going to pop back over to Mecca just because of the neighborhood. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to go do this thing. And then it just took forever for him to get to where he was going because he just- Which kept- was essentially a job interview. Yeah. Like 20 years, he's on his way to go get a job. He's like, I got to go back to Mecca though. It was essentially a job application. Like, yes. I don't know, for my research still on that topic, I do not know if that Sultan in Delhi knew he was coming or if he just was like, <laughs> I'll get there. There won't be a better candidate in the next 20 years. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be happy when I'm there. But in that case, but like to your to- your comment about all of the other civilizations being, and especially like, like the Muslims being more open to other cultures and more live and let live so many other civilizations were motivated by curiosity and yeah trade but like curiosity and just exploration and trade versus conquest specific mm. uh which i think is interesting because it's like yeah who who are the barbarians the ones who are open-minded and let people continue to have their own thoughts customs traditions and religions as long as they just, you know, pay a tax or <laughs> the ones that just want to take and sack everything 
and force you to convert to what they believe. And it's, I mean, you kind of, once you go all the way to modern history, it, you really start seeing the gaslighting in terms of, um, you know, a country like India, where they'll say, you know, there was, I can't remember what it was like politically, but they were talking about like gay rights in India and how it's, you know, tricky and they're trying to move like gay rights forward in India, but it's, you know, a pretty conservative nation. And in modern times, you think to yourself like, oh, how sad, like it's these, <clears throat> course they're conservative they haven't progressed as far as like you know modern like european based nations but then you read like the kama sutra and you're kind of like man there's a lot of gay stuff in here <laughs> it's like so india's always been against because it seems like and then when you study indian history you're like well there were all sorts of accepted customs um being anti-gay wasn't fundamentally indian the victorian british people brought that in it's like the conservative elements of some of these societies were the ones that were brought by the colonizers and it was a way of kind of dividing people up and you could you could break down a society if it was not to say that you know indian society when the british arrived was like you know kumbaya everyone was having a great time but when there is a certain structural order if you want to control that society with a minority of people you need to upend that order and figure out a new way of dividing everybody up and so the british come in and they're like well this is bad this is bad this is bad so anybody that's living that way no bueno and they're not going to be in charge with us and which means if you're not living that way, you can be on our team. And there is this certain, if you are on that side, there's this certain satisfaction in being like, ooh, I get to punish these other people now. And so get, a lot I of this- I get to like, feel a semblance of power and control. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like conservative is structure is like brought in by the British and now, it it's this like it just makes for this kind of totally upside down world where you know we are looking like oh man how bad that they haven't progressed and you're like but we like we did that i think john oliver one time was like you know modern britain coming to terms with its colonial past is like somebody waking out from being blackout drunk and being like i did what <laughs> it's just you know, it's yeah. a society that is just coming to terms with all the problems in the world, like a lot of problems in the world that they're kind of like at the source of. Yeah, that they didn't realize that like hate, for the longest time, hate and intolerance was their chief export. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, you read through and you don't want to like simplify it too, because with things like, you know, there's a big section in, you know, the Silk Roads about the slave trade, which is, you know, not just West African, it's, you know, it was just a constant thing. I mean, just- well, it's it's called, one of the constants they call they call them slaves because because they were taking them from the slavic re region for the longest time people were being kidnapped or indentured from the slavic region and that's where yeah, the I mean, slave comes from when you think of like you know the vikings again when you think when we think of like the vikings we think of that they were in scandinavia and they went to britain and then they went further and they landed in like newfoundland and both those things are true but their primary focus was going you know down the volga river into the black sea so that they could sell slaves um you know on the market in you know modern day iran or persia and yeah, they would just grab everybody. <laughs> they would grab other Scandinavians. They would grab, you know, people from like the Slavic region, which is, you know, most of these words come from that. But even, I want to look in the book actually, because this is like kind of a, uh, all right, quote, page 119, if you're following along at home. <laughs> and so a lot of like the European cities were also main hubs for slave trading. So Prague was one of the big places for Slavic slaves and Venice 
Big time. I mean, most of what you see in Venice in terms of like, you know, fancy buildings was built on, you know, slave trade money. And it says all over Italy, when people met, they would say to each other, ciao, from a Venetian dialect, which is more commonly spelled C-I-A-O. And it doesn't mean hello. It means I am your slave. So slaves were so common that even basic words are founded in like the slave trade that kind of like pop up today. And all across, like, you know, obviously slave castration was big. So eunuchs, which were castrated men. Um, So great was the scale of traffic of Slavic slaves that it impacted the Arabic language. The word for eunuch, sekwabi, comes from an ethnic label referring to the Slavs. So even into like modern language, it is all, you know, there's these words that are tied to like the slave trade. So it's not, you know, just the Western Europeans that, you know, invented violence or invented conquest or invented like the slave trade. Uh, They were just, you know, good at it on like Mm -hmm. this massive scale. And that's Cass, is that etymology? That is etymology, yes. I always mix it up with entomology. No, oh, this is not the study of bugs. We're studying words, Natalie. I did I it. I graduated. <laughs> you mix it up with edamame. No, but sometimes I, sometimes I say entomins. That's how I remember the bug one now. <laughs> what um, growth I've exhibited over the course of three this seasons season already. <laughs> well, that kind of uh, segues a bit into mine if we're talking about to get us into the right era, at least. We're in Europe. We're talking about warfare. Um, Europe and warfare. This might not make a whole lot of sense to you, Mike, but Natalie, I'm plopping us down right in Les Mis territory. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Um, wait, wait, hold on. Oh. Mike, how much do you know about Les Mis? Well, I saw it once. Great. That's all. That's all was, you need to know. It was the worst five hours of my life. No, that's not true. But it like, was that's definitely. An, I'm, yeah, that's I'm a not long a real, production even for Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, bl- I, I blacked out halfway through. I think I woke up when the janitors were like, all right, you got to go now. That's I was like, the was five hours. hours. I was like, wait, there are no janitors in Les Mis. Are you mean you're there? <laughs> the actual janitors. Yeah. That sounds like the the role, you know, like the kid didn't get a part in the school play. Uh, you could be the janitor that was there in the French <laughs> Revolution. Yeah, hold a mop and start singing. Yeah, just mop up this barricade there's just <laughs> so there's just oh no the janitor in the background of empty chairs at empty tables <laughs> from the table in the corner i could see mow the janitor yeah, we don't have the rights we don't have the rights i changed the words it's oh I, I cut you off i'm so sorry it's fine i think you can do it for under 20 seconds yeah, yeah oh yeah. perfect keep going natalie you let's do them all yeah start from track, track one home. hit it <laughs> bring dun, dun, him <laughs> oh, I was going for track one. Well, straight into the overture. <laughs> Natalie and I and our, our, our old producer, he's not old, he was our previous producer. I won't say X, he's still with us always. Oh. He, we all loved Les Mis and anytime we would try to contextualize where we were in history, we would use Les Mis as our center, as our fulcrum, if you will. So I'm not dropping us down right in Les Mis, it's gonna be right before Les Mis, the prequel. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to tell you about a gentleman named Joseph Boulon Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Um, that's just a funny, fun way for me to say it. He was French. Joseph Boulogne. Uh, he was, just to I'm give sure a brief- I'm sorry, I think it's pronounced Bologna. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me check my not. God damn it. Man, you are getting good with those entomans, Natalie. <laughs> M-E-Y-E-R. Exactly. <laughs> he, just like a brief description of him, he was known as 
the greatest like sportsman of his age, a master swordsman, a revolutionary hero, a virtuosic violinist, a okay. composer. Pick, he was pick a lane. Pick yeah. a lane, Joseph. <laughs> I think I think it was like I think stuff like that was easier back then. I mean, I am oh, honestly yeah. like there must have been less competition. Exactly. There weren't there how many billion people were there back then? There's eight now. There's like <laughs> Half yeah. of that back then. Yeah. You, it's and so how many of those harder. people had like access to violins too? So it's just not, Yeah. I don't know. It's so much <laughs> harder to be the greatest of all time in today's times <laughs> is all I'm saying. It was, it was a little harder for him because he was actually born to a, a French plantation owner and uh, one of the slaves from his plantation. Um, he was born in the Caribbean and it was it was interesting because all of this research I found, a lot of that is like not really mentioned at the top. Like, oh, oh, look at all this like cool, this information of about all this cool guy. And then they're like, and he was also, he wasn't born a slave, but he was born of the illegitimate son of a slave, um, which was kind of a big deal because his father was like, nope, I'm not covering it up. I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you full access to my title all of my money and all of my things and he was it was a little icky reading through some of this because there because george saint george really creative name mm-hmm. right his father they're like you can tell how much he must have loved the mother it was yeah. just like trying to very much praise him and everything doesn't like, make Ugh. it doesn't make it not rape yeah uh he did the raise terrible his jingle <laughs> <laughs> it's like how do we get the kids to pay attention to rape put it in a song it's right (laughs) um so yeah so it was very like uh, it was interesting reading multiple articles and seeing how they like to approach that because one of them was like wow george was such a great guy and the other ones are like despite him being a dick he still mm-hmm. gave his son it's a real it's a real history of thomas jefferson situation you got going on there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but also and i'm only going to mention this once because there is a movie in pre-production there have been quite a few articles about him so i think people will start to hear about him more but with the caveat you may have heard of him before called the Black Mozart. That moniker has been so closely attached with him in all the articles that are out with the movie that's about to come out and everything. And I'm like, he's not the Black Mozart. He's Joseph Ballone. And actually is, found some information person. that Mozart might have stolen from him. <gasps> oh, yeah. God. Mozart's I know. Elvis Presley then. Yeah. yeah. So real. This is... Wait, it's like Baloney wrote Hound Dog and then Mozart made it popular. Okay. <laughs> right? Wait, but, didn't, wait, didn't Mozart also, did Mozart steal from, what's from, uh, was it Salieri? So, uh, oh yeah, uh, no, that's, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Wolfgang. Uh, Cause I'm thinking Amadeus, but that's yep. Mozart's, that's Mozart. one of his first names. <laughs> yes, they were like rivals and whatnot. But I only mention that because. I feel like some people who are listening to this might have actually heard of Joseph Ballone, but they've only heard to him referred to as Black Mozart. And then they're like, oh, that's my frame of reference. And that's all I need to know about that guy. 
which is super annoying because this guy wasn't just like a composer and an amazing one at that and a virtuoso. Also, he like did all the shit. I was going to say also like was Mozart a master swordsman? Not that I know of. No. And this this guy had an amazing life. So he so he he's born on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Oh, I love a Christmas birth. In Basaterra, Guadalupe, which was which is an island chain in the Caribbean. It's a French colony. He was born in 1945. Uh, to his he mother was, born was in 1945. This is before Les Mis. Oh my goodness, 1745. That was a trick, <laughs> like, Mike. You win. Yeah, I was like, man, alive. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, we're gonna have to add. We're gonna like, have to add to the official drinking before. game rules. Cass accidentally put something in the in the 20th century. Wait, wait, wait. Bucky yeah. Wookie Bugle Boy was not in Les Mis? Like, born in 1945, Christmas Day. <laughs> oh, the God, Second World I, War had just ended. I haven't even gotten to the time-traveling bit yet, guys. Ah. Come on. Um, <laughs> invented the flux capacitor. This guy um, really is more than just a black Mozart. <laughs> He was born in 1745. His father was George Boulogne. They named this, they called him George Boulogne to St. George because St. George was one of his plantations, I think. And then he gave that name to his son as well. Um, his mother was Anne Nanon, who was a Senegalese slave on the plantation. And uh, Nanon got to stay with the family like the whole time. So like, he moved, he went over to France and Nanon got to stay with him. Um, she was in the, George St. George's like um, uh, will and testament. So she was, she was taken care of and she was able to stay with her son her whole life. It was kind of sad because when she died, she made a will and testament to give to her son. And in it, she like addressed it to Mr. St. George. And then she signed her name, Anne Nenon, which she went by Nenon as her first name. But she did that intentionally to like separate any sense of like slave connection to her son because he rose to the rank so high that she didn't want that to drag him down at all. I was like, no, it made me really sad. Um, I thought you were going to say that because she addressed it that way, the father no, was see, like, that's a great, thing. this is all for me. Yeah, no, no, no. That's the thing. It's like it. And it's, it's weird to be like, oh, she's like part of the family. Basically, she was taken care of and she was allowed to stay with her son. Her son and her had a very good relationship and lived together in France for a very long time. In 1748, Papa St. George fled to France after killing a man. One, of, one thing says a duel. One thing says it was like a bar fight. Anyway, he's like, I got a skedaddle. He takes his wife with him, with him. He takes Joseph and he takes Joseph's mother. And he installs Joseph at a boarding school, which is led by famous fencing master, La Bossiere. I don't know. There's a lot of umlauts and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, love and, that guy. <laughs> yes. Big fan. Um, he That's went why over- I just I Americanize everything because I'm kind of like, why try? Labossier. There it is. I, there you I, go. I, I look up the pronunciation and write it down phonetically and then can't read my own phonetic notes <laughs> and or I make a note to look up the pronunciation and then forget. Or you do all of that and then right before we start recording, you're just listening to YouTube on your phone. Hold on. I'm listening to the pronunciation. <laughs> and then I still don't remember it. Yep. <laughs> 
Um, he was about seven when he went over to France. His father took him over there. And then his father went back to Guadalupe and left George and his mother there, or sorry, and left Joseph and his mother there. Joseph was like seven. By the time he was 13, he was like defeating grand masters. Lobosier, the guy who ran the academy, he was a guy that invented the fencing mask. Like he's one of the greatest fencers of all time. And he like got defeated by this kid. And it said, Joseph was admired for his fencing and riding prowess. He served as a model to young sportsmen who formed a court around him. Like this guy was just like popular. He was fun. He was handsome. Everyone wanted to be friends with him. Oh shit, he was handsome too? Oh, oh, I've got, yeah. I was going to save this quote for later, but I'll save it for right now. But we're thirsty for it now. Don't, Don't bury the lead. Oh, you're not, you're not the only one who was thirsty, Natalie. Where is it? Where is it? Ah, this is what happens when you don't go in order. I ruined everything. But you know what? It's it's going to be worth it, I can tell. to explain how studly this person was. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it says, quote, A fine dancer, St. George, also was also invited to balls and welcomed into the salons and boudoirs of high-born ladies. <laughs> Partial for the music of liaisons where amour had real meaning. He loved and was loved. It's like, damn. Okay. Ooh. That's a real, that's a real, uh, guys. Mike, are you okay? Do you need some be? water? Yeah. He's yeah. sweating over there. Yeah, I forgot this isn't like video. I was just mopping my brow. Yeah, I mean, if you. With my bare hand. <laughs> Podcasting is a visual medium. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> just a and they're like, threat. oh, he must be, yeah, he must be mopping his brow. This guy, he's a triple threat. I mean, speaking of podcasting as a, vis- as a visual medium, if you look at a picture of the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, he was kind of a babe, like his portrait. I mean, granted, it's just a painting, but like he's got his little beauty mark. He's like kind of, he's got his little sword and he's posing, like he's working no filter. So he was just kind of this wunderkind, um, pardon my Ooh. German. Sorry, wow. I just did a Google. Yeah, right? Did you Google him? I just did a Google and I just want to say these eyebrows. Yeah. His brows, like I, I, there are a lot of YouTube tutorials of people trying to achieve these brows. That's what I'll yes. say about these brows. That's that's all, <laughs> and like the beauty mark is what gets me. He's just Ooh. like he's working it, he's selling it, and I am buying it. Listen, <laughs> girls wanted to be with him, and guys wanted to be him, and vice versa. <laughs> and I'm vice sure. Versa. <laughs> all of it. So Joseph's dad, first of all, it's I read varying. Um, accounts where some of them say that he started as a commoner, but then gained power and some that he was from a grand family. But one thing is for sure that he was for sure the gentleman of the bedchamber for Louis the 15th, 14th, one of them, which sounds like either you're a, a gentleman of the night or you're like changing chamber pots. But no, it was just like, yeah, I was going to say that sounds like some, uh, the favorite yeah. action. Yeah. No, basically he was just like, uh, he would help him change. He would help him with like, he was basically just as like his buddy to like hang out with, but it was a very esteemed position. You were very close with the king. Usually only someone on like an inner circle um, would be chosen. So he had, a his dad had a lot of influence. He was a patron to many artists, many very important people. And this paid off in Joseph's life. So this is how he got into this, Academy. 
um, when he was about seven and in his teenage years. Um, it's not sure when he first started studying music or what exactly like his studying looked like, but he was given access to some of the most amazing violinists and composers. Uh, Leclerc is a famous violinist, or, and he was also a violin maker. There's rumors that he trained him how to play the violin. Francois Gasec um, was a famous composer, and it said that when he was, like his teenage years, like Gasek like gave him four compositions or something, would write him four compositions. So he's taught like amazing musicians and composers. But he was so well known for fencing and sword fighting that there's a quote in 1769, the Parisian public was amazed to see St. George, the great fencer, playing as a violinist in Gossec's new orchestra, the Concert d'Amateurs. He was the first violinist, which is the most important position in an orchestra or a symphony. It's also called the concert master, which is like if the conductor is the captain of the ship, the concert master is... First whoever mate. is first mate, first whoever mate. is helping out the captain. <laughs> I love how I started that metaphor and was like, <laughs> the next one down. I was yep. ready for it. As your yep. first mate, associate, assist, assistant to the captain. Mm-hmm. Associate. <laughs> vice president of the boat. Yep. Of the boat. <laughs> <Of the boats. laughs> um, but the fact that he was like, I, I don't know, just known as a fencer, like that yeah. that's a thing. And they say that it translated, you know, because like, he was a virtuoso at the violin. And if you think about like a fencing foil and a violin, I don't know, you can make comparisons there. Yeah, I mean, it's dime a dozen. Give yeah, somebody a just, fencing sword, switch it out with a violin bow. You just fold your elbow in and you're just... And it's the same thing. Sword fighting same. on your violin. It's I remind my mom all the time that I'm not a violin virtuoso because she never paid for my fencing lessons. Yeah. You know what? And that's a lesson for mothers to learn everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't <laughs> play a musical instrument being good at football. <laughs> <laughs> but you might become very good at ballet. So there you- it is. And I learned that from Mr. Holland's opus. Mm-hmm. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Nap, quick confession. I can't stop thinking about your birthday cake from last year. Oh, the one from ECBG Cake Studio? Is that where that delicious custom cake was from? Yep, but ECBG does more than cake. They help everyone celebrate the moments that matter. They believe in equality and community and that ordinary moments should be celebrated too. Not just extraordinary people's birthdays, wink. They even have online baking classes. Mm, They sound dreamy. You know, if you're still dreaming of that cake, you should check out at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or their website, ECBG Studio. But back in 1769, um, of course, that was the year that I landed on. uh, He was the concert master for the the Concert de Amateurs, which was a concert series series created by Gossick, and it was like huge and it was a big deal because not only was he the concert master when Gossick went on to go do something else he named St. George as the director of the series because he did so well with this he was considered for the position of the director of the Paris Opera I'm smiling right now because the story gets a little uh, racy, but I'm also reading this part right now that's not very happy. Two or three of the opera's leading ladies presented a petition to the queen, Marie Antoinette, that, quote, their honor and the delicacy of their conscience made it impossible for them to be subjected to the orders of a mulatto. Fuck them. And so Joseph withdrew his name from consideration. And this is where it gets, it gets weird, a little racy. He says he withdrew his name from consideration to keep the affair from embarrassing the queen. Mm. 
with whom he was quote unquote unusually close with. So me senses that oh, there was, was he, maybe... was he the what was it called the bedroom gentleman? He was a gentleman liaisons of the salon and the boudoir. Yeah, makes me think he was salon in someone's boudoir in Versailles. <laughs> So, yeah, so so he withdrew his name and then, and then to diffuse the scandal and nothing explains scandal. It just says like these women didn't want, they didn't want to work under a black man. And so, but then they keep using the words like affair and scandal in relation to the queen specifically. It's so confusing. So Louis XVI took the opera back from the city to be managed by his intendant of light entertainment. And I had to look into that. The Paris opera was originally associated with the court and was quote unquote ceded to the city a century before by Louis XIV. So basically this is, I mean, if we're talking about Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette right before the French Revolution. And what's he doing? He's taking their opera, their you know beloved Paris opera. It's like, no wonder they revolted on you, dude. It's but light so- entertainment. I wonder what the heavy entertainment is. If opera is like, oh, this is a nice break from, like if opera were the pop standard <laughs> yeah. of like late 1700s France, I wonder what the, like, what's the heavy stuff that they're yeah. working on? Um, lots of executions, I think. Heady entertainment. Uh, hey, there's like a there'll be like a YouTube video of a bunch of people like playing not instruments but like making music out of them. Like, hmm? like pe- there'll be like YouTube videos of people covering pop standards using objects around the house or whatnot. Oh, yeah, of actual traditional instruments. That, but with guillotines, was what I was getting. Oh, nailed it. That's it. Yep. Da, it was a long da, 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 It was a long chop, 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 chop. Right? Like that. There it is. I guess if you could do the, I don't know, I guess different thicknesses of necks might make a different tone, like if you're blown into glasses. Yeah. Ooh. Depends oh, yeah. on, uh, and also like you can sharpen the blade with some different things. I don't know. Guys, I think there's something here. It's like, yeah, French Revolution version of Stomp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sign me up. Barber blade, and then it's like, trademark. Yeah. It. Copyright. Copyright, it's it. us. We're doing it. We have the production rights. Stomp, French Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> French Revolution <laughs> Blue Band Group. Which one's going to get their head chopped off? Part de. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after the quote-unquote affair, Marie right. was like, I don't even want to go to the opera. I'm going to have my musicals in my petite apartment in Versailles um, with limited circle and musicians. St. George was one of them. And he would like play the violin while she was playing the piano forte. It was a huge thing. But because of him withdrawing his name from the Paris opera, he really couldn't go anywhere as far as being a musician anymore. So we turned to operas and in 17, this guy knew fucking everyone. Okay, so we've already talked to like, what, the greatest uh, swordsman ever, Gossick, who was this famous French composer, the fucking king and queen of France. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1777, Ernestine, his first opera was performed with a libretto, which is the the words and everything, by Pierre uh, Cholderlos, that name, Mm -hmm. Cholderlos, de la Cruz. God damn it. It's a really French name. But he was the author of Dangerous Liaisons, which is like a super famous French novel. 
it bombed, opera did horribly, it closed that night, but critics, quote unquote, liked the music, but panned the weak libretto. So it's like, our boy Joe's got it, but famous opera over here. Canceled. Um, After the failure of the opera, he was getting offers for other private theaters and everything. Um, And then this is where my quote of partial for the music of liaisons in the boudoir and the salons. I just want to state, dear reader, if you feel like you've heard dangerous liaisons before and you don't know what it is it's cruel intentions it's basically cruel intentions did you see cruel intentions that's it's it is cruel intentions mm-hmm. should they quote it in there see it's, it's i know the things. direct adaptation hey, look at yes, you when did when did cruel intentions come out 2000 or 1999 yeah i think it might have been 99 i think it was 99 <laughs> yeah bittersweet symphony you know they didn't get any money from that song what? Seriously? Yeah, because the the is like a Rolling Stones song chord progression sped up, and the Rolling Stones sued them and won. Even though if you listen to the songs, you would like never know it. But so the Rolling Stones got all the royalties for their like the what was that the Verve pipe like their only hit. Yeah, crazy. I would like to congratulate both of you. It's ninety nine. Yes, Cass has a has a weird superpower party that doesn't work all the time just name a movie when it tell you what year a movie came out within how many years like two two yeah generally (sighs) must be nice a lot of of caveats yeah it gets me a lot of places in life in like 200 years there's going to be a podcast about history and they're going to talk about that it's like yeah this thing was able to name and they'll be like she can do everything 60 percent of the time time it worked yeah. Now that um, I bring up the verb pipe thing, though, it makes me, I remember what always happens when I'm on shows like this, when I start telling an anecdote that it's something that I've never brought up before. And I think to myself, God, I like learned this information maybe 20 years ago. Is there a chance this isn't <laughs> true? And then normally if I were here at the store and we're just like kicking around things, I would Google it and look it up. And then whenever I'm like here, like now I just said it. So I worry that somebody's going to like listen to this and be like, that's not. Well, we welcome, we always tell folks to write in with any questions, corrections, yeah. or suggestions. And so, yeah. if so, we're so that could be one of the things. If you've made it this far into the episode, find out if that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> Got all the royalty money for the verb pipes only hit. Woof. That's rough on them. But it's also rough on <laughs> there it is St. George. So in 1981, I told you he took over the concert to amateurs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, it was doing great. It was doing awesome until they ran out of funds. Interesting, though, they ran out of funds because a lot of the patrons, private or they're collecting from private contributors who were sending the money to America for their fight for independence. And then weren't getting like money back. So there's like slowly kind of like starting to interweave into like revolutionary whatnot. They're like the ones funding the concert series, but also they're like, we're going to go send some money over to America quick so they can help fight a war. Um, But also now you don't get to play music anymore. America. Like we'll, we'll pay you back. You take a post dated check. Yeah. 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 We just got to get our economy on, on, you know, on solid Love your music, by the way, though. (laughs) Send us more fans. In 1791. So this is also the weird thing. So he was like super tight with Louis and Marie, right? Super. His dad was in tight with the other, the first earlier king, like real high up in the whole monarchical bullshit. 
But he was also like a huge revolutionary guy and like no one had a problem when he like jumped over real quick. Like he's hanging out in Versailles, but now in 1791, French parliament recruited volunteers from the French National Guard, of which he was a member, to provide services for the Revolutionary Army. In 1992, they established a light army of... It's funny because God you damn said it, do I keep doing that? And I'm just like, he was in Desert Storm? Oh shit, did I skip the time traveling part? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. In 1792, there it is. All, right. all the beheadings. Everyone start taking drinks whenever I start talking about the 90s unintentionally. <laughs> 1792. Right, never mind. <laughs> the parliament established a small cavalry of just black men and he was leading it and it had this has this really legion france cavalry really long name but they just called it legion saint george because of him like it was he was just so good at running it that they're like we're just gonna name it after you pal it'd be like if the lakers were the lebron jameses Ooh, i like that yeah, they, you know what? <laughs> Let's get them on the phone. Actually, yeah. Yeah. No, we're dizzing this one too. We're dizzing this one too. LA LeBrons. So he start, He fought for the revolution. He just has this like this storied career. Everyone is like in love with him and wants to sleep with him and wants to be him. And he's like this amazing musician. Oh, the Mozart thing. Uh, Mozart was staying at a, a hotel, whatever, with him at the same time. And one of his, and I, of course, don't have the name of the symphony or sonata or whatever. It's, it's been published in this one year, and he had been playing it at the hotel, and Mozart was there, and, like, they'd hung out and had dinner with everything and whatnot. And then the next year, they have the actual published musical sheets. Mozart, like, has, like, a lick pulled from St. George's Symphony. He had a he had a verve pipe, like a little riff. You had a little bit of a verve pipe situation. Yeah. So yeah, I like the so, idea that we're going to call this a verve pipe situation. We're yeah. not going to call it a vanilla ice situation. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. It's or, like that doesn't sound anything like Queen. No, 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 no. It's yeah, like dun 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 dun. You see, there's the dun. There's the extra. So. <laughs> He has this amazing military career. He's got everything going for him, all this great shit, whatnot. It's kind of unclear, but like when he was a colonel in the army and whatnot, he it said that he had like, he was having music hall nights or like a music night and making it seem like it was improprietous or that he was shirking his duties or something. They're not sure if anyone was trying to like slander his name because clearly he was, you know, a black man in a time where it was not fun to be one in France and a lot of places. They had things called the Code Noir, which is the black code of the way that you were supposed to, you know, legally treat slaves, treat free black people, all that stuff. So like a lot of things going against him, but everything seemed to go so great for the beginning of his life. Then the French Revolution hit. And he was doing really well in it. And then he kind of just fades to obscurity. He didn't die like poor or penniless or whatever, but from this insanely immense, like huge life and career, he kind of died a little, a little obscurely, I guess. He died in 1799 in Paris at the age of 53 of some say bladder disease, some say gangrene. It wasn't good, but yeah. Man, so he missed he missed all the action of Les Mis because the beginning of Les Mis starts in 1815. Wait, yeah, so really. close. Wait, am I in the wrong? No, we're pretty this close. Is pre-revolution, I mean, right country. Well, yeah. I mean, so revolution 1789, 
and then Waterloo. Oh, you're saying lame. I thought you meant the revolution. Yeah. To, you just mean the musical. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> I mean, I the most important up? historical document of our time, which is the score and libretto of Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Love the music. Pan the libretto. Pan the it's libretto. It's weird that, I, I guess, uh, I mean, again, I've got all those kids. It's weird that <laughs> Les Mis didn't come up once in the Silk Roads. I know. You sure so, you read that thing? Well, after I'm going to email Peter Frankopan. It's like, hey, man, I don't know what they're teaching you. Is it Oxford? Um, I don't know what they're teaching you there, but Les Mis was not in your book. I don't trust it. We might have to scrap the episode. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, forget what I said in that whole thing. It's like, makes you really makes you rethink history. Yeah, we, th- we think that he made, that he, he thinks he may have made up the verve pipe anecdote, but he definitely made up <laughs> yeah, the like, whole history he shared. <laughs> like, it's not even a book. I was like, let me find the page. We were I, able to start with the Silk Road and end close to Les Mis. I mean, really just the best of both worlds for, it really for us. <laughs> and we finally get some Silk Roads history and action instead of just me being like, it's great. Never you know what I'd love to talk about? The Silk Road, but I'm not gonna. Now mm-hmm. we got to. Man, oh man. We learned so much today, did we not? We did. We learned that Cass is better at pronouncing names, but not at figuring out what year she's in. And uh, that... Our dear and beloved Mike Draper is smarter than both of us, especially when it comes <laughs> like, to... I think you're going to say that Penn is just like giving history degrees to like anybody who asks. When you find out that Donald Trump also has a Penn degree, that's when you say like, yeah, I can, I can see that. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to put things together. It's a big deal. I don't know. Tick that box. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I like though that you basically like weren't qualifying for your history degree because you took, you were too well-rounded in your course load. Yeah. I made my own and that I thought it'd be fun. Like each semester I would focus on something. So like one semester I took three Middle Eastern history classes. One semester I took three Latin American history classes. That the, That is not how we do history here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, by and- here I mean all of America. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I kind of wish I could remember like the details, but it shows you also like my focus at Penn was not necessarily like the structure of how I was supposed to be there getting a degree, which I guess is why I now run this place where I recognize that there are rules. It's like, yeah, I'm sure they exist. I'm just not really like concerned about what the boundaries are. So I just kind of like bump around in here. Hey, it works. If it works, it works. I don't, I don't know. It's it, it is the greatest store in the universe so you must yeah. be doing something right yeah ray gun has been called the greatest store in the universe by ray gun which is a real honor yeah we looked around and we were like hey we got a committee together we're like we got to figure out which store is the greatest and it came down to like us footlocker and dillard's <sighs> yeah so it was those three it was and you know what you guys are still really good friends with footlocker and dillard's that's um that's that's a touching story that's a real lesson there yeah that's this is we really learned about how to build some bridges mm-hmm. and how to maintain them despite After the competitive landscape tries- yeah we did it guys we won well we solved everything Uh, (laughs) as always please reach out and correct us uh send us any suggestions corrections what do i say questions corrections and it's my phrase and i can't remember it (laughs) questions corrections and suggestions you can send those to shared history podcast at gmail.com we've got some killer infographics for you not infographics well, just we've pictures got a, yeah we got lots of stuff for you and those are over on our social medias on our twitter on our instagram uh those handles are at shared pod go check out all of the cool stuff that we talked about visually that we couldn't share with you audibly mm-hmm. 
And then uh, check right. out all of the uh, other cool vi visual things and also purchasable items. You can't follow Mike on social media because <laughs> not, not me on personally. It. But you can follow Raygun. It's at Raygun Shirts on both Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So give them a follow and. I was going to say something else. I can't remember what it is. So that means that it is not important or it's something very important. And my brain's <laughs> too full of Backstreet Boys lyrics to remember it. Yep. As always, we'll sign off with share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.